Hey, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown Podcast. I'm Julie. Some of you know me as Dry Mountain Mama, and I'm here with Steve Kay to bring you Sobertown's Rewired Podcast. We're diving into the book Rewired by Erica Spiegelman and learning how it can completely change the way we think and help us create a life so full that there's no space left for alcohol. Before we get started, I want to invite you to visit SobertownPodcast.com where you will find all of the podcast episodes and tons of recovery-related resources. You'll find tools like Todd's blog, which includes his sobriety toolbox, filled with great ideas for handling cravings, reframing difficult thoughts, dealing with drinking situations, and everything else you need to tackle sobriety. We also want to give a shout-out to the I Am Sober app and the community there, where many of us met and have found our tribe, creating the foundation for successful recovery. If you haven't yet, do go download the I Am Sober app and come join us there. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and we want to bring attention to not only child abuse, but the link it has to substance abuse. In 2019, about 656,000 children were victims of maltreatment. This means over half a million children were abused or neglected in some way. Nearly 2,000 children died from this abuse, and over 650,000 were left at a high risk to develop mental disorders such as schizophrenia, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. We all know that mental disorders lead many people to abuse substances. Substance abuse will affect an individual for their lifetime. Their family will also be affected, and in many cases, it will travel through generations. The connections between abuse and alcoholism are many, and we're here today to talk about them because awareness is the first step in recognizing abuse, and because if abuse doesn't take someone's life, alcohol still could. At this time, I'd like to introduce our guest today, a very close friend of mine who is so wise and so courageous, and is here with us again, this time, to share with us how she has overcome both abuse and alcoholism, and is changing the narrative in her own life and in her son's life, and gives us all so much hope. Ray, thank you so much for being here today. It really is an honor. How are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. Where do you think the best place to start is for you? So my mom was an alcoholic, which later led her into drug usage and she became abusive. And that was my life from when I was seven to 13. And then I moved to the States with my dad and my dad was trying to get me to drink at 14 years old because he thought that I needed to know my limits and needed to know how alcohol affected me so I couldn't be taken advantage of in a party setting. And But because of my mom's history, I never wanted to drink. So I put it off until I was 16 and he was gonna get deployed and he said he wanted to have a drink with his daughter before he goes to war and he might not come back. So it was like emotionally, I was like, well, fuck, what am I supposed to, how do I say no to that? And then it just became very normal very quickly that I was allowed to drink with the adult um, on every occasion. And when I, woke up and realized I had a drinking problem, I was so pissed at my parents because I knew it was more likely because of my mom. And then my dad was the one I had my first drink with. My All of the beginnings of my drinking was 
with him and it was made so normal in my house and to start you're more at risk when you have the mental health disorders when you have the family history but also the younger you start and so starting at 16 was not great for me how old were you when you realized that you actually had a problem um when i actually realized i had a problem i was probably 20 uh, hold on because i have to figure out how old i am now um <laughs> it was probably 27 although i had gotten a dui when i was 23 and when i look back that whole i mean when i was drinking at 16 it wasn't the recommended three drinks it was already excessive and i was being praised at that time for having a high tolerance and holding my liquor and all of that is another way that i got down this path which isn't great but um i think that i for sure had a problem when i was 23 even younger than that because but i wasn't ready to admit it or accept it and i was still functioning you know so right yeah that sounds familiar yeah it does and the dui was a huge wake-up call i felt so much shame with that but then it's so normalized like i remember everyone saying oh this is your first one what do you mean you have multiple <laughs> and even today um i had to disclose my medical history to my doctor he asked me how many duis i had I like one gosh <laughs> and then yeah so it's just how old were you when you realized your mother had a problem I always like knew about it. I didn't know necessarily that it was alcohol or it was drugs. I remember I would find like a pipe it like hidden around in random places, but we just never really talked about it and nobody else talked about it with me either. So then what's really sad about my story is that nobody came to get me. I wrote a letter to my grandmother saying that I was being abused and asking for help. And she tried to get the cops involved, but there was no evidence, there was no proof. And my mom and dad had been fighting for like five years in court over the divorce, over custody of us. So it was just, it wasn't until I started running away and really causing a lot of drama, I kicked up a huge storm I was like ready anytime my mom would try to hit me I would just run out the door and I would do it in broad daylight and bring so much attention to what was happening to the point where she I think knew she couldn't control me anymore and knew that she had to let me go live with my dad because I wasn't going to keep I wasn't going to stay in that situation so there's so much resentment I have for all the adults in my life because I felt so unprotected and so unseen. And that really burned me up inside for so long. I come from a very family oriented culture. So I would always hear that's still your mom. That's always going to be your mom or, you know, that's your dad and he's or your grandpa then and he's going to be stuck in his ways. You're the young one. You have to adjust. It was so hard for me to just accept that. I would often drink just to have these phone calls because in my mind, it put me in a better mood and 
made it easier to stomach these people that I had so much pain around everything. I wanted so badly to be to be loved. And I know now that I was, but it didn't feel like it when I was going through. So is this, did all of your other family that you talked with know what had happened when you were a girl with your mom? Yeah. When they were telling you, this is still, she'll still be your mom forever. Did they know all of that when they were well, telling they you told that? Me, yeah, they told me that afterwards. Afterwards, people were still insistent that I had a relationship with my mom. Even now, people are insistent that I have a relationship with my dad. And I think that it comes from a good place because I think that it's scary to think about someone out on their own with no family, with no home base. But I just had to find mine in a different place. The randomness of where you're born into is not always where you're meant to be. Right. So with that resentment, I know they say resentment is generally a huge trigger for for alcoholism and for drinking. How did you start dealing with some of that? It was so difficult. I didn't know how to. My resentment kept me warm at night. I It kept me protected. It kept me steadfast and strong and it held all my boundaries in place. And so I wasn't even really ready to look at it. And I was going to therapy and really talking about just all of it. And I just didn't, I was tired of holding it. I didn't want to hold it anymore. I just wanted to be at peace. It takes a lot of effort to hold that resentment. Mm -hmm. And it was especially because in my mind, I was like, they're fine wherever they are, you know? It's just me here that I'm hurting by like holding on to this stuff. It's just me that's affected by it. And my therapist said that um, tension is like people holding strings. You can't have tension in a relationship if one person lets go. And so I knew I had to because I had to let it go because it just had come to a point where Sunday night wasn't a trigger for me anymore. Cooking dinner wasn't a trigger for me anymore. It was the trauma and thinking about these people and being reminded about these people that made me want to drink, made me want to bury my head in the sand. You know, I deleted my Facebook. I cut off contact with all these people and just, but I felt so uncomfortable just in my life. Like I felt like I couldn't expand in any kind of way because I was afraid of these people and I was afraid of their reaction. I was afraid of the reaction I would get for disowning my family or leaving the family or going against them. Like, cause it's not that I'm going against them. It's just that I don't think that we were meant to be in each other's life. There's a certain point where you have to start putting yourself first, right? Yeah. And I think it sounds like you were trying to meet everybody else's expectations and do everything that they thought was best for you. And then at some point, it sounds like you had to decide what was best for you and put yourself first. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of misconception because my dad's family has, um, they're well off and they're comfortable. And so I think that a lot of people think 
that I was lucky because at least I had a dad and at least I had them backing me up. But I think that on both sides, they thought, well, she has a mom. The mom's going to take care of her. When she has a dad, the dad will come through. And what ended up happening is I just slipped through the cracks and I had to pick myself up at 28 and pull it together. So if you were to go back, I know one of the things we talk about when we talk about child abuse prevention is awareness and getting people to see child abuse when it's happening and be aware of it around them. If you were to go back and talk to some of these adults in your life, what would you say to them now? What would you tell people that are listening that they should be looking for or that they should that they should hear from kids? Because I know you said you fell through the cracks. Well, um, I would just say that, you know, all the signs are there. And if you think it's not your business, it is. You need to speak for people who can't speak for themselves. And there are, when you contact the authorities and CPS, these people don't want to take children, they don't want to break up families. So they're going to do everything that they can to make sure, you know, that it's the right call. And by that point, it absolutely means that you have saved a life. Otherwise, you know, it's one thing to go through it. It's another thing to feel like nobody cared that I was going through it, to feel like no one had my back. And then to be an addict, you know, everyone tells me like, I don't know how you did it alone. I don't know how you did it without any treatment, any, I didn't go to therapy until I was eight months in. Um, I didn't go to meetings till I was nine months in. But it's because in my life, I was shown that I had to do everything. And I had to get sober by myself as well. And I just wish, That's the only thing that I wish I would have done differently is I wish I would have gone to meetings sooner. I wish I wasn't so alone in those first months because they were so painful and so hard. So when you started working through dealing with all of that resentment, because the the resentment's kind of like an armor, right? Like you keep the resentment up and that's kind of what protects you. Um, But then it just gets too heavy and you have to find some way to put it down. What did that look like for you? It, well, because I'm stubborn, (laughs) um, it looked a lot like, at first, it had to be the acceptance of the feelings of anger, because I was so afraid of the, of being angry at these people and afraid of feeling the grief. I was so afraid that all these emotions would break me, that if I actually felt the heartbreak of what my, because it's one thing to get your heart broken over a boyfriend in high school, to have your mother who is supposed to love you unconditionally break your heart when you're a child. I mean, I just, I thought that that would kill me. I thought I would break under that. And so I, so that was the first step for me. It was approaching those feelings and because you can't avoid it, you can't ignore it. So I had to accept what happened to me before I could come to a place where I understood it. I had to know first that it happened because I did spend so much time pretending that it didn't or it wasn't as bad as it was or just not talking about it at all. And, 
you know, people see me now and they're like, the life that they see me have is nothing like the life that I came from. So it's really easy to just pretend like, to just go with the party line that I had, which was, I moved to the States because there's better school. And that's what, you know, recovery has given me the vulnerability and learning to be open and be authentic and be who I am because that was so that was the first step and then and then it was just seeing the full picture seeing who my mom was in recovery part of what I had to do was learn to forgive myself and love myself and there were so many parts of me that I hated parts of me that were like her I always loved the wrong men I laughed too loudly I was quick to anger I was very loud and just I had to remember her from before and remember who I was before and just remember that the intentions and what brought us here, you know, to hell was a lot of good intentions, a lot of wanting to take care of everybody and make everyone happy and not have anyone worry about me, you know, to be strong. And I just like, I remember when my dad got me i tried so hard to make him not feel guilty about what happened to me i tried to tell him how could you have known you know and all of these things and i shouldn't it's not that that was a bad thing but i didn't leave room for myself to feel the pain and to grieve i was already just taking care of somebody else and their needs and their wants and then i got resentful of that because why was i a kid taking care of my father's emotional needs. That was not the way it should have went. And then people just had a perception of me that I was stronger than I was. And all the while I'm at home drinking and miserable, just miserable. But my Facebook pictures looked so great. Right. So did you kind of hide all of the things that had happened to you then is that stuff you just decided not to talk about with anyone yeah Uh, I wasn't trying to do anything me I wasn't trying to lie it was that I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable when I started talking about this stuff because people would get really uncomfortable really quickly and so I would just have the funny conversation add in whatever humor I could like Oh yeah, I don't talk about my mom just because we don't get along. You know how moms can be and like laugh it off and just not ever talk about it. Nobody really ever questioned it. So, uh, and I learned early on that most people want to talk about themselves. So if you let them, they won't ask you much and you just turn it around. I learned that quickly to where it only happened one time where somebody was like, you're not talking about, I don't know anything about you. You're not opening up at all. You know, all this stuff about me because I had gone so good at it at such a young age. I mean, that started even before I moved out of my mom's house just to avoid like questions and to cover up for her. So what happened when you finally did start sharing it? When did you start talking about it openly? Because I know you've been really open with me since I've known you. When did you, when did that start? And then what changes did you see? 
in yourself and in, in your own mental state once you started just talking about what happened? It started when I started going to meetings, when I started journaling, um, even just to when I got sober was when it finally like all the pretense fell away and all the pain came. And there was every moment it was like the greatest thing that I've learned is that these feelings will not kill me because it used to feel like it got so close to where I just before would always dive into alcohol and now I know that it will pass and what's left is so much better than a hangover or worse behavior and consequences for that behavior did you start noticing changes in yourself oh once um, you started opening up to say it out loud i started in therapy and i described the very first memory i have of being abused and after the therapist said he used the word attack as in my mom attacked me and even just hearing that was like just to change that the the frame because I used to say me and my mom got into a fight as if I as a child had a part to play in like making her mad or engaging in a way that it wasn't it was all of that was out of my control and saying it out loud I was able to hear what happened to me in a way of instead of glossing over it like I had in my mind to say out loud, this is what happened to me, you know, like to say the word attack to say that my mom would, you know, I felt like saying it out loud, it gives you the perspective of if you were a friend listening, because you don't have that inner voice that's saying like, oh, you're over-exaggerating or you're dramatic, to just point blank be like, my mom used to like really hurt me. She used to like punch me and scratch me and choke me and do things that were not normal. It wasn't spanking. It was absolutely abuse. And I absolutely had every reason to be in pain. And I wasn't exaggerating. Even now to be, I was an adult and I got addicted to drinking because of all this pain that had happened to me that I hadn't addressed. I can hear that and know that it's okay and know that the only wrong would have been if I stayed doing that and stayed hurting people. But I course corrected and I'm doing better than my life is better now than it ever was before my addiction. So I know when I asked what you wanted to talk about tonight, when I asked you to pick a topic from the book Rewire, and you said compassion. And that's the most powerful thing that I can think of when you're talking about abuse and overcoming everything that goes with that and overcoming alcoholism, that compassion is the topic that you relate it to. What does that look like? Where does compassion come in to your story? It had to start with self-compassion because I had to love myself enough to still hold those boundaries even when the resentment went away. I had to know that I deserved respect and I deserved my safety and I deserved my peace so that I could hold all of that in place. And the thing with abuse is it really makes you feel like you did something to deserve it. 
no matter what type of abuse it is, you always feel like, even if it's not from outside sources telling you, like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't have dressed that way, or you shouldn't have mouthed off, or whatever it may be, it just feels like there's something inside of you that feels like, what did I do? Why did they do that to me? Especially when it's coming from someone that you love, which it usually is. How do you get to the point of self-compassion? If you were talking to someone else that's in, that that's where you were, that's still feeling like it was their fault, how do you get to the point where you feel self-compassion and, and let that healing start? Well, the book suggests to do a compliment log where you write down every time someone um, compliments you. And that's where I started. There's that saying where you have to love yourself before anyone else can. And I don't believe that that's true for me. I learned by um, being a part of this community and how people treated each other in this community and how people treated me and how they accepted me. And yeah, it's just, and I did the compliment log too after, it came right after the last podcast. So a bunch of people were messaging me, telling me that I was brave and vulnerable. And um, I had one person that I don't know um, say that what I had said about just for mothers would really help a lot. And that wasn't even, I think, the prime focus of what I was talking about. But I also do affirmations every day. I didn't think, I thought this is like healing crystals, stuff like that. There's no way, but it is so powerful. I mean, you would think a writer would understand the power of words, but that it really does help affirmations and just, and you have to, and going to therapy, learning to change that inner narrative to not be so negative, to look at yourself more from a, perspective that is not so harsh and give yourself grace and love and kindness and it takes like daily practice to make that happen it so does and before and then again before i had the voice for myself um i had to really rely on my friends i had to surround myself with the right people and like that there was this one time i was at my um my in-laws house and there was a lot of drinking I had to call you Julie yeah I remember I was beating myself up for behaving in my head I was like you're behaving like a crackhead you're so embarrassing and Julie was like you know who you are (laughs) and you're a very strong person you're a good person I was like oh yeah okay I am this is just a difficult part of my story and that helps so much you have to like I know this about compassion but community is so essential so very essential yeah well your community is going to be compassionate towards you until you can learn how to be compassionate towards yourself I think Mm -hmm. it says it says in the book sometimes we need to acknowledge that our relationship with other people you're the ones we have with ourselves so you started with compassion for yourself you just finished saying that you started surrounding yourself with people, the people that also showed you compassion. Mm-hmm. I had to keep the energy around me positive. I had to take away all the negative noises of 
you know, like my dad saying that I needed to be thinner, more educated, a better mother, all these things, you know? Yeah. So you snapped out because you were able to witness your mom's rock bottom. And then the other thing I think was that you talked about having compassion for yourself and having compassion for others. Is Are either of those something that you wanted to talk about? Well, um, I knew that I had to work on the resentment, but I was so terrified for myself because of my sobriety. I knew I needed boundaries so that I wouldn't get back to that place where I needed to drink. Um, so I had to do the self-compassion. And then once I got, once I felt um, strong enough in myself, I had to address the issues with the individual that had hurt me. And I had to look at the full picture because it's not just, you know, my mom was an addict who abused me. It was what happened to her before I was born. It was about all the pain that she went through, all the horrible things she felt. My dad wasn't just someone who was emotionally and mentally abusive. He was the son of somebody who was also mentally and emotionally abusive. And all of this was set in motion long before I was even a thought. And I always have said, I am so glad that I am me and not my mom, because I get a chance to do it right. I get a chance to be a part of my son's life. And I think that I couldn't have gone here without becoming an addict myself, because when I was so stuck and I couldn't get out, I couldn't love my son enough to break like that wasn't enough i loved him so much and i wanted to but that couldn't get me out of where i was i realized that it wasn't that wasn't the part that was lacking it wasn't that my mom didn't love me she had gone to a point in her life where i think she feels like she cannot forgive herself for what she's done and she can't face it the way I mean, I had to look at the way I treated my son and how I would yell all the time. And I thought this is fine because it's way better than what I got, which is not true. It was not okay for me to yell at him the way I was. So I had to forgive myself for being like my mom. And of course, I'm going to be like her because I come from her. Our lives really mirrored each other unintentionally. I tried so hard to not be her, that it's kind of, I don't know, I, I don't have any word for it, but funny that we went along the same path. I got married at 19 to a man who joined the military. Um, I had my kid young. I was in an abusive relationship while I was separated. All of these things, I got addicted, like my mom, that all these things mirror her life, but at every turn, I was able to make the better decision. I was in an abusive relationship. I knew it was gonna get worse before he punched me in the face. I was able to leave because I had seen her deal with that. And I knew that my addiction, it was only going to get worse because I saw how much worse it got for her, what she was willing to do just to not feel anything. 
I knew I had to stop as much shame as I had about how bad it had gotten, I knew that it was only gonna get worse. And that if I didn't stop now, I would really get to a place where I couldn't forgive myself. And I mean, I just, I'm thankful that it was her and not me. And that probably sounds horrible, but that's the way the story went. And I oh. never was thankful for it before. I've had so much hate and so much anger. And now I'm at a place where I'm, oh, thank God. It sounds like you were able to take the example that your mom set, even though it was a really awful example that you lived through and that was so hard but you were able to take that example and learn from it and so i think it makes it makes good sense in a way to say that you're thankful that you could see her go through that so you didn't have to get there because then look at the life that you've created for yourself now because you saw what she went through and not just the life that you've created for yourself but also for your son you're changing the narrative you put a stop to it that's right it sounds like the experiences that you had growing up gave you the strength to not allow them to happen to you now or as you were growing up. Well, yeah, that's where self-compassion, I think, comes back in because I was at my lowest point and I was going over like all the things that had happened to me in my life, how I was really throwing a hell of a pity party for me. And I came to the thought that this has to be it. Like, I cannot keep hurting myself. I can't keep making my life this way. There has to be, after all of that, after everything that's happened to me, there has to be better. I have to make a better life because I cannot endure anything else. That's it. I'm done. No more. Um, and my reason that I have on the app because I remember um, signing up for the app. I was probably a week into my sobriety. It asked you to put a reason and there was nothing else that I could think of other than I deserve to have a good life. I need, I needed it. I had to fight for it. And even now there's so much work that goes into it, but it's so much better than what it was before. I wouldn't go back even like, if I could be a person that drank and didn't have a problem, I wouldn't want that. I would still want what I have here and now. It's a gift, really, isn't it? It is. I'm going to have to agree. I, I know Julie agrees, too. It is a gift, that clarity and everything else. Well, Ray, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing with us some of your story, some of the resentment and the abuse that you went through when you were growing up i think having the courage to even going like going to therapy um facing your anger breaking the mold dealing with your problems alone what you were told when you were growing up and really starting to share yourself with us learning to forgive yourself compassion through your affirmations you got to start somewhere and you started with that and that helped you lead toward uh, some forgiveness for yourself and then it, it let you forgive others the people that you needed to start forgiving and then finally being actually thankful 
for the experiences and figuring out how it led you to where you are today. So I really think you're really brave, Ray, for coming on today and sharing what you did and sharing what you shared and uh, giving that gift to other people to listen to. I think, I think it's really awesome that you wanted to come on and share. So thank you for so much. Thank really you, you for everything that you do and making me this better person who does scary things and being just a safe and being open to wanting to talk about this because I remember being nervous to even bring it up and I mean it is it's just it's great you guys are a great wonderful space I'm so thankful well, we're thankful for you too. I think you're having the courage to talk about this might give other people the courage to be able to talk about it too. I think that's really powerful and it's an amazing way to, to use what happened to you to help other people. So we're really grateful and really honored that you're here. Thanks, Ray. And to our listeners, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And we'll be back soon with another episode of Sobertown's Rewired podcast.